Hello, and welcome to the Women in Music podcast. My name is Tara Summers, and I'm the host and creator of this show. The purpose of this series is to promote visibility for women in the music industry and to shed light on gender inequality and the sexism that they experience in the business. In this episode, we'll approach this topic by hearing from radio consultant Heather Lee Stanley as she shares her experiences of being undermined in radio by her male counterparts and often being stuck in the role of the token female in radio. We'll also talk about the double standards experienced by women musicians in the industry and talk about the infamous Super Bowl scandal involving Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. So Heather, can you start by just introducing yourself and telling us about how you got started in radio? My name is Heather Lee Stanley. I have been in radio now for uh, 21, 22 years cumulative. Uh, there's been some times where I've been out of radio briefly. And it keeps calling me back, so I haven't been able to, to leave. Um, I started radio when I was 14 back in the uh, early 90s, so it's it's been a while. Um, I started working for a nonprofit religious radio station for about seven years, and then I moved to the bigger corporate stations, and I worked primarily on air, and then I became a promotions and marketing director and started getting into administration. And then I got out of radio and went back to college, got my bachelor's and my master's degree, and then ended up teaching media classes and then eventually um, became the advisor for the student station at USA and got that started. And then I was director of student media over uh, all four of the media, the newspaper, magazine, television station, and of course the Prowl. And then uh, now I'm working freelance primarily, working on podcast stuff. I do work with a radio station. Um, I don't really work for them as much as they are a client because I have my own uh, consulting company now. So now I'm on the administrative consulting side of things as opposed to just being on air and, you know, doing whatever kind of volunteer stuff at, at events. Yeah, and, and you started the Prowl, right? I did start the Prowl. Um, we had a, a gentleman by the name of Matt McCoy, who is currently on air, one of our local radio stations. I say currently, he's he's been here forever. And uh, he originally, the students wanted to start their own station, and they thought about doing it online, and they needed to have an advisor. So at the time, he was working with the students, and they had, it was sad, um, they had this little closet they called the bunker way smaller than the room that we're in right now (laughs) and it had a computer that didn't even have uh, a back to it it was i think it was a repurposed computer they found somewhere and um, the server they had had to be rebooted every day and so it was it was um Far from where it is now, when I came aboard, when Matt could no longer do that, he went back to radio full time, I um, was the one that initiated the agreement with the Federal Communications Commission, applied for licensing, got all the equipment, and then made it into the program it is now where it's a low power FM station. So yes, I was responsible for that and, and getting that all started and launching, and it's been on the air now for four and a half years, almost five years since September. Yeah, I actually, I remember driving around Mobile when I was in high school and, and listening to the Prowl and thinking, that's something that I want to do. Like, I can't wait to go to school and get into that. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't really happen, but. <laughs> As it seldom ever does, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's it's really interesting to hear that you have been in radio since you were 14, you said, mm-hmm. right? That is something that I think is really astounding because 
I don't know of a lot of women in general that go into radio. You, I don't. I didn't really grow up hearing that many women as opposed to men on the air. And I think that to hear that you've been in it from such an early age, mm-hmm. you know, the age that I was looking into it and wanting to start doing it, I think that that's really impressive. Now, were you the only girl at that age that you know of that had been getting into that? That I know of. There was one other in the market. She started at 15. Um, but again, that's rare. I mean, I've talked to people from other markets. Um, I know a couple of males that got into it at 14, 15, 16 years old. I think that model is going to the wayside anyway. It seems that more and more people are getting into it at 18, 20, 23. And I think the average age for a woman getting into radio is about 22, 23 years of age. So, yeah, I was a little bit ahead of the curve. Nobody told me that. And, you know, I didn't think it was strange. Um, I started off working in promotions for the first two years and I voiced uh, a couple of taglines and stuff for commercials and then when I was 16 I eventually was approved to go on air so I've been on air since 16 but I've been in the actual industry since 14. Yeah I've only just gotten into it I'm 22 now Mm -hmm. so I've only been doing this for about two years and just barely getting my foot into the door and getting started in that and I'm really enjoying it but I do wish that I had been exposed to it a little bit sooner um, and had more options uh, available of and, and outlets of, hey, you know, you maybe you could try this because it's not something that I really grew up really thinking of as an option. Honestly, going in school, I, was, I, I knew, you know, broadcasting in general um, and journalism, but I didn't think so much about radio. And the irony there for me is that I'm I love music. It's such a huge part of my life. And I didn't even think of it being an option for me because I don't think I heard that that many women, like I'd said. But I think that's really wonderful that you were able to do that from such an early age because it's inspiring, Mm -hmm. um, I think, to a lot of young women as well out there. And also, I will say this, that, you know, getting into the industry as young as I did, there are drawbacks to that. Uh, They did not want me to be 14. You know, I had to act like an adult. With not having, I mean, I was a little bit, you know, beyond my years, but I still was a teenager as far as emotional development and stuff. So uh, you learn over time, you know, um, there was a time I looked back and went, oh, I had no childhood. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, what else would I have been doing? You know, I mean, I was in choir at school, but apart from that, I mean, you know, I I think I would have gotten bored doing other stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, I... I understand what you mean by that as well, being so young and and feeling in that way, because I feel similar. I I obviously did not go into radio so young, but I do relate to that. All right. Now, when you had started the Prowl over at South, did you experience any type of limitation, you being a woman or any hindrances in that way? Surprisingly, yes. It wasn't blatant. Now, the uh, department chair at the time that hired me is a feminist and he was always he kind of noticed how I would be treated for example um, most of the people that were in facilities or architecture all those that we needed because we're trying to build the station are all men and I would be the only female in the room which is not uncomfortable for me I'm used to it but it was just kind of weird because you're in a much different environment because higher education you've got title nine you have all these EEOC regulations that you don't have with other stuff, equal opportunity, employment. And so it was kind of, it's a little bit strange in that respect, 
but um, there would be times where they would just want to talk to my department chair and he would say, I'm going to defer to Heather because she's the expert on this particular topic. So, I mean, I did a little bit, I mean, not to the realm of where I would anywhere else, because ultimately, you know, I could go to HR and I could file a report and, you know, it's not acceptable in that realm. But whereas with radio, it's a little bit different. I mean, I guess you could go to HR, but it's it's not looked at it the same way, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, Title IX does a lot to to protect people in higher education. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was nice having that. And I would, I would teach my students that, you know, particularly my male students, I would say, look, um, they, a lot of them had difficulty imagining that I would have that kind of, uh, some of them still do, because we've talked about it, that I would have that kind of reaction from people, that people would treat me that way, because they saw me as a mentor or as a teacher and somebody that knew what they were doing. And I think I will say that as far as millennials and Gen Z go, there is a little bit more tolerance and education there than with the older generations. So they don't really think about it as much. But I would tell them, look, you know, um, right now there's Title IX and all of your uh, female co-workers here are protected, but you're going to get out in the real world and it's not going to be that way. So you need to look out for not just your your female co-workers, but also your friends that are people of color as well. And so that there's that representation. So we, we've had that uh, discussion and then they get out in the real world and realize how hard it is to to fight back on that because they're just now starting their careers. They're not in a place of, of um, you know, management of any sort where they can make those kind of decisions. I know that you said that you have some students that, of course, respected you. You were their superior. Mm-hmm. You were their educator, their mentor. Did you ever have some students that kind of treated you differently once they had gotten some experience under their own yes. belt? Yes. There were a few that um, we got along just fine, and then they would get internships. And they would come back and they would um, start mansplaining my job, for lack of a better term. I mean, that's what it is. It was never the females. The females, I had the opposite reaction where they never thought they were good enough. And I was always trying. And it was kind of an interesting uh, um, gender study there. You know, I was trying to get them to feel better about themselves. Yes, you are good. Yes, you deserve this internship. The males went the exact opposite. And a lot of them would start telling me, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. And that was very frustrating because it's like, okay, you're at events. Maybe they let you touch the equipment every once in a while, but you know, you're not even to the level I am, you know, or to the level of where, you know, the people you're working with. And I don't know. I mean, talking, I talk to my fellow uh, male coworkers, (laughs) colleagues from other stations, and they weren't doing that with them. It was a much different, uh, just a much different respect, much different way of interaction. And so I had to assume, but it was interesting because um, I never want to automatically assume it was because I'm female. You know, there could be some other reason. Maybe they don't like direct authority, maybe whatever. And uh, I would talk to, it was interesting, my male students were the ones that would call them out. You know, it's because you're female. They just have problems working for a female. And it was interesting that they would call them out. This strange hierarchy as well of of just women being automatically subverted. If you may have more credentials than these other people, than your your fellow co-workers, but just you being a woman alone, 
they're going to go around you and they're going to talk circles around you and talk to mm-hmm. the people that they consider your higher ups, even if they're not necessarily your higher ups. Mm-hmm. You could be the highest up there that there is and they're not going to give you that credibility mm-hmm. and to to really listen to what you have to say. And of course, there's the whole issue of women getting paid less. <laughs> Pay gaps persist along gender lines. Really? There was that time that I got paid $5,000 less than someone who had lesser experience in that position. What? Yeah. A male counterpart, I'm assuming? Yeah, it was a male counterpart who had, that was like his first radio job ever. And he had way less experience. And you know, the the deal is you're not supposed to talk about your what you make mm-hmm. to other people. But um, he found out I was making less and he was angry. He, he said, well, you've got more experience than I do. And I was just told, well, that's all the budget can handle. Really? The budget's handling him quite well. I never made more than 60% of, of what men in the same position made. Yeah, I, I love hearing about how the gender gap is not real. I love mm-hmm. being told that. I didn't make good money until I went, to, ironically, went into education. <laughs> and when I say good money, I mean, like, comparable money. <laughs> I can pay my bills money. <laughs> now that I was making a whole whole bunch. What was interesting is that the way that I approached it, because when I was, my dad, actually, when I first started in, in broadcasting, my dad told me when I went on the air, he said, um, and keep in mind, I, I grew up in an egalitarian type of home. Okay, mom cut the grass, daddy cooked. Okay, that was just, <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't like gender roles with those things. And he told me, he said, you will have to work twice as hard and not and probably get less than half of the pay as the men. Well, that's the first time I had ever heard of equal pay at all. And it was coming from my dad. And I was like, oh, no, that's nonsense. And I found out very quickly Back when I started, which was 92, um, when I started in 92, I mean, I was told to my face several times, you can't, you know, they would always need people to do commercials, to voice commercials. They just didn't have enough people. And uh, I would offer and they said, no, no, women will run off the client. People don't buy if there's a woman's voice. Yeah. And so there were many a times I was told, if you make it in this industry, it's only because you're female. Yeah. So your gender is either the reason that you're being propelled into your career or it's what's holding you back? It was a little bit of both, but it was mainly that was what's propelled. In other words, you have equal opportunity employment, which is a big issue with licensing for the Federal Communications Commission. And so they have to have females. I cannot tell you the number of times I was a token female on a radio station one case I was a token female out of three radio stations um yeah it it just that you know what we call tokenism you know that that wonderful sociological theory of you know well we have a female and look how well she's doing and there were times where I mean not that I didn't earn what I had been but there was one that yeah I was the only woman in the building but they were really really quick to give me a management position as well that I was not qualified for at the time Hmm. thankfully I had a national it was <laughs> thankfully I'm good at marketing and didn't know it um they're like here be promotions and marketing director on top of being on air and I was like oh okay and uh that was that was how they got around it because all of a sudden they could report oh she's in management and so they thought you know and it's happened I've seen it happen at stations um our stations are very in this market still very very divided by race so you have your black stations and then all the other stations. They never call them the white stations, but that's 
typically what they are. And um, you have, uh, you know, people of color. If you have someone who is African-American that is on a white station, which has happened, again, tokenism. Mm -hmm. So... It becomes that big EEO question and the, where they're they're playing around it. And um, but yeah, I'd had many a times where I was told point blank to my face, and then you know things started to change. There were more corporations, and they had to be careful. Janet Jackson, the incident with Janet mm. Jackson changed everything because I remember my husband was working for one corporation, and they had them go through sensitivity training. So the law didn't change attitudes. It changed how people talk about attitudes. For example, you know, just because someone doesn't say uh, a slur in public doesn't mean that Mm. they're not racist. You know, that kind of thinking. They may do it away, you know, where it's safe. Or I love this. Well, you know, you can't say such and such nowadays. And it's like, you just did. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? You felt the need to explain that you can't say the very thing that you're saying right now. <laughs> right. Can we talk back about the Janet Jackson incident? You, mm-hmm. had said, you, you had said that radio had changed after that. Can we talk about that and about the incident itself? I think it, well, when I said that it changed, I think I, I like some people became less blatant about it. Mm-hmm. What the Janet Jackson incident, and I hate to say Janet Jackson because she gets the fall for it. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Timberlake's the one that decided, hey, let me see how this works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, with that particular Super Bowl, I guess is better. The Super Bowl incident, what it did is they got a lot of fines for that. A lot mm-hmm. of fines. And so you look at some of the stations, you know, smaller stations can't have those kind of fines or they're just going to be, no, they're just going to be eliminated. So there was that idea of sensitivity training. um, I don't really know all that it covered. I think it was not just how you interact with people behind the microphone, but also what you say on the air, too. And so that started becoming more prevalent. You know, that was what you did in the early days of diversity training, Mm -hmm. with sensitivity training. Now diversity training is taking on a whole different different aspect. But um, the reason I said I think it changed, I think that it became more of... My view is that maybe some people were taught by that and they went, hey, I need to change my my ways. But for most part, people, I think they just internalized mm-hmm. and just weren't as vocal. That's what I meant by the unconscious bias. They weren't as vocal about how they felt about women yeah, and or sex in general. And so they just kind of, you know. But yeah, I can, um, you know, there was that that Janet Jackson issue just completely um change where a lot of people were trying to be more careful mm-hmm. in saying that i think for a lot of shows i think they became blander yeah you know, lack up a better word because they were afraid to joke about things keep in mind this is during the time too that the fcc was um really coming down hard on howard stern yeah Howard Stern decided to to jump ship and go to um, Sirius XM radio. And then um, a lot of the shock jocks, actually. Mm. And so I feel like the combination of that just kind of made where people are just too afraid. So let's just try to make it as, you know. Yeah, it's like self-censorship. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make it as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I know after that that Super Bowl incident had happened, I mean, Janet's music was like pulled yeah. from radio and she lost money from it. And she, of course, just received a lot of backlash. God forbid the woman have the anatomy of a woman <laughs> and have her have a, a wardrobe malfunction that she did not even, you know, do herself. But right. Justin was just praised. Yeah. And he, I mean, I feel like, <laughs> he probably profited off of it mm-hmm. in that difference there. Right. And he didn't do it intentionally. Like, you know, I'm not trying to come down on Justin for that, but, mm-hmm. but he didn't speak out and say something about that. And he, and he finally did. He did on Instagram. Yeah. He did come out and he had apologized to both Janet Jackson and Britney Spears mm-hmm. and, and had pointed out, you know, the, the industry is flawed and I should have said something and I didn't. And I'm, and I'm doing that now. And I think that that was a big thing for him to do um long overdue and it did make a lot of people that and the britney spears documentary in general were that where he was kind of put in that on the spotlight called a lot of attention to these issues Mm -hmm. and i think that that's really important for us to be doing because prior to that i never thought about it in that way you know that happened when i was little and i I just went right over my head i didn't think about it in that light but my husband missed it (laughs) he went to the store to pick up something and i was there and i watched it Mm mm-hmm he came home a couple minutes later and said, oh, my gosh, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just it was just one of those things. The FCC at that time was changed and how they did regulations. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of weird fines that were finally, you know, that were eventually revoked because they were being just a little bit too much overreach. They don't have much power. Yeah. They have the power Congress gives them. So. Um, they had a little bit of overreach, and eventually the courts settled against it. But yeah, I, yeah, I do feel bad because she, she will be forever known for mm-hmm. you know the term wardrobe malfunction, which I'm pretty yeah. sure she did not use that. That was her publicist, and again, it wasn't deliberate. And now it's changed how the Super Bowl halftime show is done. Mm-hmm. They always want a safe artist. Yeah. It, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think about it. Everybody, even Lady Gaga, yeah. everybody was very you know tame and on their best behavior until you know j-lo and (laughs) shakira (laughs) but they got a lot of they got a lot of flack for that they did get a lot of flack for that yeah yeah they did and that was (laughs) like make up your minds (laughs) i mean i don't know how many people go well they were fully clothed it didn't show anything you know yeah yeah it's it's crazy We'll talk more about these double standards and the sexist practices in the music industry in the coming episodes, so be sure to follow this podcast and turn on your notifications so that you can stay updated on all things women in music. Thanks for sharing, Heather, and a big thank you to all of our listeners out there. Until next time, this has been Tara Summers.